This is Under the Dome. On today's episode, we'll look at what it's like to own a shuttered bar in North Carolina and what policy could save those bars. Welcome to Under the Dome. I'm Colin Campbell, editor of the NC Insider. Well, we're finally turning the corner a little bit on the uh, COVID issue, and uh, we're seeing our first uh, easing of restrictions as of the uh, last uh, couple days. Uh, that's definitely good news for the industry that's been hit hardest by the restrictions aimed at fighting the pandemic. And of course, that's uh, bars that are, are not attached to restaurants or breweries or anything like that. While well, for months we've been able to sit inside at restaurants, breweries, and distilleries and drink alcohol, bars have only been allowed to offer a limited outdoor service. And with mostly cold, wet winter, getting customers to hang out outside has been a pretty tough sell. The bar's got good news recently with the new executive order from Governor Cooper that allows them to reopen uh, indoor service at 30% capacity, as well as keep serving until 11 p.m. without a curfew. So to find out what things are like inside the world of bars, I'm joined by Zach Medford, who leads the NC Bar and Tavern Association that's been lobbying pretty hard over the last few months to try to get bars uh, back open, at least at some limited capacity. He also owns several bars in downtown Raleigh and elsewhere, including Isaac Hunter's Tavern and Parliament. Zach, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Colin. Yeah. Uh, just describe, I guess, to start off uh, what the last year has been like for you. It's been, uh, I guess, almost a full year since uh, you've been able to serve drinks indoors at uh, several of your establishments. Uh, what's that been like as you've been trying to to keep your business afloat and, and take care as best you can of the employees that you've had? You know, I really don't think there is a business in the world that can survive uh, an entire year with absolutely no revenues while they still have to pay rent, bills, power, insurance, you name it. Uh, and that's the circumstances that North Carolina's bars and taverns have been facing since March 17th, 2020. Uh, it's been a really, really tough year. And just today, we're finally starting to see a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Have you been, uh, I mean, what's the decision-making process? You've had one of your bars, Coglins downtown, where you uh, ultimately decided a couple months back that uh, you're going to have to shut that down permanently. How, how do you decide how to to go forward with uh, you know a really uncertain picture as to, to when you can get back to normal operations and a, a normal, you know, amount of customers and, and sales at these businesses? It's been really tough. Um, you know, business owners like myself, but per, pretty much anybody that's been having to go through this pandemic knows that you just wait, you wake up, you take it one day at a time, you make the tough decisions that day. And, you know, with so much uncertainty facing all of us, it's, it's extremely hard to plan. As a bar owner, you know, we close on March 17th, we figure we'll be closed for a month or two. We get the situation under control, and then you know, come the summer, we'd be allowed to reopen. Well, month after month went by. The weather started getting colder, and the days started getting shorter. And we realized this is it. This is the long haul. You know, unfortunately, we had our bar Isaac Hunter's Tavern in downtown Raleigh. We had somebody come along uh, in October and made us a, a very uh, you know a low offer to purchase the the place. And honestly, we couldn't afford to reopen it if we tried at that point. Uh, with all the back rent due, uh, like I said, the insurance and all the mounting bills. Um, so we had to take the deal and we sold Isaac Hunter's Tavern and hope to be able to keep Coglin's Raleigh going. But, you know, towards the end of the year, our landlord came with his hand out and he said, look, you guys haven't paid rent all year. Uh, I need you to go ahead and pay me all your back rent or you got to go. Uh, and it was tough for us because we've been in that spot for over eight years. And uh, we've been, we did everything we could to pay the rent for the first few months, but after month after month goes by where there's no there's no customers, there's no money coming in, you can't keep paying rent. I, I can't pay myself. I've got three sons, I got a wife, I got a house to pay, a mortgage on. You know, I, at a certain point it stops being how am I gonna pay my business bills and it starts being how am I gonna pay for groceries? 
and been really tough decisions to make. And I hope that we're done making the tough decisions. I hope that we can start focusing on the future. Uh, for a lot of bar owners, they don't have that luxury, I guess. I think, I think they've already, a lot of bars across North Carolina have closed their doors for good. What's the last year been like for your staff? Um, have, have many of them just been completely out of work or have some of them just moved on to other industries and other types of jobs that have been you know, hit less hard? When we closed down on March 17th, we had to lay off over 80 employees across our five bars. Many of them struggled to get unemployment. The unemployment system was a disaster for the first uh, probably about two months. We did everything we could to work with them to get them on unemployment. Uh, one of the blessings that did come through was the original PPP loans where we were able to, for some of the folks that were still struggling to get unemployment, we were able to bring them back on payroll and pay them some of the PPP money that we had. Uh, unfortunately for us, since we weren't open, we weren't able to serve customers. The PPP loans, you know, that was all we could do was just use it to pay payroll. And that was it. Uh, and pay people to do nothing. Uh, luckily, we, most of our, of our employees were able to get on unemployment uh, and help pay some bills. But Unemployment is not enough to live on. Of course, it's not meant to be a permanent solution. It's meant to be a temporary stopgap. Well, not a lot of temporary stopgaps go on for 11 months. Many of our employees have had to move on and find other jobs. They've had to move back in with their parents, but still others uh, really haven't had anything and they're just, they're barely scraping by. It's tough. We stay in touch. We're a community and um, we're a team, but now all of a sudden we're hopefully we'll be able to reopen our bars, uh, but that means calling up the employees that haven't had have been able to work for months and saying, hey, do you you know do we still have a place for you? Do you are you able to come back to work? And again, that's we got two days before that happens, so I guess that's a good problem to have. But yeah, I didn't get a whole lot of warning on figuring out exactly when you could you know reactivate some of these spaces. Communication has been a uh, real issue in this state for the last eleven months. Uh, everything kind of hits us out of the blue. You know, back in May when they first reopened brewery bars and restaurant bars, we bar uh, private bars and taverns were included on the list. And in the eleventh hour, we were removed and uh, didn't see that coming. We'd already uh, brought our staff back for that and had to lay them off back again. So yeah, there's there's been a lot of personal costs, a lot of heartache um, out here. Yeah, uh, with the change a few months back that allowed the uh, outdoor seating only at bars at you know whatever the very very limited capacity was, um, were any bars able to make that work? Um, I feel like I saw one of your establishments was doing it for a brief time, and then you know, as we got into winter, I guess it just made less and less sense to keep that open when you know people could go down the street to a restaurant and enjoy a bar in the warmth and dryness of uh, uh, indoor space. Yeah, for uh, for example, our bar Coglins Raleigh, we had a large outdoor parking lot, um, and uh, when the news came that we could actually open up at thirty percent capacity outdoors, that was late October, early November, and it was already getting cold. Days were getting short, and it rained a whole lot, pretty much every week, and it felt like. So we waited for a few weekends before we gave it a shot. We tried to open. Uh, our revenues were under ten percent what we what they were the year before uh, on those that's those specific days, not even counting the you know the rest of the week that we were closed. So Friday, Saturday, we were down ninety percent of revenue, uh, and we weren't making enough to cover product, let alone pay our staff and the power and the having a DJ uh, spin. On the other hand, we had our bar Parliament. Uh, it's a small eight hundred square foot bar, has about twelve seats outside in Glenwood South. Well, at 30% capacity, we were only allowed three customers. So, you know, there's, there's really not a bartender in the world that can make those numbers work. So we weren't able to open. I think that 99% of the bars in North Carolina were in the same shoes as we are. Uh, it takes a whole lot to open a bar, to run it safely. On top of having bartenders, you have to have security. You have to have folks that are enforcing the COVID-19 mandates, making sure people are wearing their masks and staying socially distanced. And you also have to make it fun. 
Uh, you know, that's why we had a DJ. But take all the, the stress that we're going to try and, you know, hope for a clear, non-rainy night on a Friday or a Saturday when they can just walk next door into the, uh, into the restaurant next door and drink that same beer uh, at a bar and hang out with their friends in the warmth. You know, it's just, like you said at the beginning, it's a tough sell. And I don't think a lot of bars were able to make that work at all. Yeah. And with the curfew, um, did that sort of change you know, consumer behaviors at all in terms of people shifting their social drinking earlier in the evening? Or, or did that just sort of encourage people who like to go out at 11 o'clock on a Saturday night to just have a house party at 11 o'clock on a Saturday night rather than uh, going to a bar because they're all closed under the curfew? Uh, when the curfew dropped from 11 p.m. Uh, to 9 p.m., alcohol sales cut off. Uh, it just completely devastated any business we had. Uh, we weren't really making it in the first place, of course. Uh, but yeah, they, like you said, it, people that were going to go out, I mean, you couldn't eat, you know, the Super Bowl doesn't end by nine o'clock. People couldn't go out and watch the Super Bowl at their favorite sports bar, even if they want to sit at a table socially distanced. You know, it, it really discouraged people from coming out completely. You know, unfortunately, we hoped that people would come out earlier and, and shift their habits, but it's just that didn't happen. The moving the curfew back to 11 p.m. for us this time around is huge. There's a whole lot more. I mean, as we all know, 90% of bar business comes in between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. Uh, so now at least we have from 10 to 11 to try and sell a few drinks and uh, maybe pay off a few of these bills that have been piling up. Yeah, our, and it was the uh, new executive order. You're at 30%. That's still low, below the, the 50% that your um, counterparts in the restaurant world are, are under. Is there still a fairness issue here? I know the 30% margin was uh, what your group had asked for in, in hopes of, you know, I guess, getting something out of this current round of executive orders. Well, we've been working with the governor's office for the last 11 months trying to get equality across the hospitality industry. 85% of bars were reopened uh, back in May 2020. That was restaurant bars, brewery bars, hotel bars, even strip clubs were allowed to reopen. The only folks that had to stay closed were people with a private bar liquor license. There was 1,063 of us. We, we, we sued the administration, went to court, and ask them to prove why is there a substantial difference between a private bar versus one of these brewery bars? Why is it safe to have a beer at a brewery and not safe to have that same beer at my bar? And the only argument that we really got out of it was, well, breweries create more jobs than bars, which, you know, to that point, I think you're picking winners and losers. And I don't think that's what the governor, the government should be in the business of doing. That being said, today's victory with the 30% opening, uh, 30% capacity inside bars, uh, it's a small victory and it's a hollow victory for some. At the same time, it's better than zero. We're going to continue to fight every single day to get equal treatment with restaurant bars and everybody else in the business. Uh, but tonight we're celebrating, and I think it's a great thing. I think that as we continue to see the, ca the case count for COVID-19 drop across the state, as we continue to see the number of people vaccinated soar, uh, I think we're going to see these restrictions fall off a lot quicker than they went on. Is it concerned for the long term that the, there was this, I understand from the uh, lawsuit, there was a claim from the governor's team that economic development, economic impacts, paid in impact. I guess that's that sort of economic developer's argument that, oh, we get a craft brewery in this area that's, you know, industrial wasteland zone and everything comes back and therefore we don't want to mess with that industry, whereas we're, we're okay with the, the bars. Is, is that just an issue of, you know, who has a better lobbyist and this sort of comes down to yes. who's in a, in a better position to, to make their case to the, the people making these decisions? The, uh, in the past, uh, there was no organization like the North Carolina Bar and Tavern Association. Uh, bars were content to be represented by the North Carolina Restaurant and Lodging Association, uh, which does a good job for restaurant for uh, restaurants and hotels. But bars were kind of the, the black sheep of the family. And 
without anyone at the table to give bars a voice, uh, we were kind of pa- cast to the side. Uh, there's only 1,063 of us. You know, we had talked about forming the North Carolina Bar and Tavern Association for several several years before, especially after Raleigh tried to outlaw uh, outdoor drinking uh, on on outside of on Fayetteville Street and uh, for bars, uh, but allow it for restaurants. We started coming together, uh, but we didn't make it formal. And you know that that was a mistake. I think we should have done it a lot earlier. And I think we're paying the cost by not having that representation. But the good news is that we exist now, and uh, we've got over 200 member bars and we're really fighting to have a voice at the table, you know, being able to do this podcast with you is part of that voice and being able to kind of make it known that we want to be part of this community. We already are a huge part of our communities. Neighborhood bars raise so much money for charity. Uh, They sponsor kickball teams. They sponsor pet adoption events. They sponsor wounded warrior veterans events, you name it. So when I hear that we don't make a big enough economic impact to count, you know, it pisses me off. Uh, It's not true. And I think that there is, I don't think it's right to say that the job of a bartender or a, a door security worker or the delivery guy that delivers that local brewer's beer to my bar, that their job's not okay, you know, is not valued the same. I think it's wrong. And I, I think it's something that needs to be fixed. Yeah. Do you think there's going to be long-term consequences to this? I mean, there you already have had to close one bar. I'm sure a lot of other bar owners have, have had to shut down. And, and you look at an area like Glenwood South Fayetteville Street, where a lot of those storefronts, a lot of that activity is from uh, businesses that are classified as a bar. Is it going to be harder with this long period of closure, even when you are back to normal, to have the same density of nightlife opportunities and things that sort of make these areas vibrant? Or are we going to see some shifts in you know, what a street like Glenwood South looks like in terms of the, the business makeup and people's willingness to make that part of their Saturday night routine? Well, I think we're already seeing the direct impacts on Fayetteville Street. Uh, it, it's, it's a scary place at night now. The boards are still up on the windows. There's trash everywhere. Uh, even the entrance to Coglins was just filled with trash and um, you know human refuse for the last two three weeks. I think people aren't necessarily going to be returning to Fable Street anytime soon. Glenwood South has been doing okay. One of the biggest problems is that they by closing private bars but allowing 85 percent of our direct competitors to stay open, consumers have changed their habits. And you know maybe now instead of going to Coglins to go dancing, they're going to go over to the brewery and do <laughs> go dancing. Uh, you know, or uh, or you name it. it we have a, our bar parliament. Uh, we we had our lights off. We were, our doors were closed, and there was a line down the street for the restaurant next door, Tin Roof. Um, people went up there to, to you know have a good time. They're doing great. You know, and you know the thing about me is I, I want to see everybody do great, and I, I don't blame them at all. But what I do think is unfair is to have our direct competitors open and now. Even with uh, being able to reopen, you know, at thirty percent capacity, we've got a long way to go uh, just to be able to pay back this debt and to get people back in our doors. We have to market, we have to say we're open, we have to educate the consumer that you know the it's okay to come back out to nightclubs and uh, to taverns and to their neighborhood bar. So yeah, we have a we have a whole lot of work ahead of us. That's for sure. I wanted to run through some of the um, pieces of legislation that are floating around to get a sense for how well they would help out. Um, we've got the bill, I guess, on the governor's desk. That's the sort of temporary reprieve on. Uh, ABC permit fees, but there was a uh, another bill that's going through the in state house that would uh, essentially uh, waive the entire fee for the next coming year. Um, what kind of impacts would those have on you know the ability to uh, make ends meet and you know survive the the next few months before things get back to normal? You know, Representative Moffat is the new head of the ABC committee in the House, and uh, he's been doing great things for us, helping us get legislation like the ABC uh, fee reprieves. Those are 
a, a step in the right direction. It's not the whole ball game by any means. Um, most bars pay between uh, $2,000 to $4,000 in their licensing fee every year to be able to sell. Uh, having those fees waived will be a big help, especially because we're entering in renewal season. And at the same time, we're just now being able to have customers back in our bars. So uh, not having to pay that, it's going to be a big help. Uh, one thing that we're really pushing for is for private bars that have been closed the entire uh, pandemic. We're asking for the legislature to help us by waiving the mixed beverage fee. Whenever we go to buy liquor uh, from the state, we actually pay more. If I go buy a bottle of Bullet Bourbon, I'm going to pay more as a bar than you would pay, Colin, if you uh, went in the ABC store yourself. Um, ABC stores last year actually made more money than ever, despite the fact that they weren't getting those, AB, those uh, mixed beverage taxes from us because we weren't able to order anything. So there is money. I think everybody thought it was gonna, that uh, they're going to be going in with a deficit, but it turns out there is still money. What we want to see uh, going forward is for the next 18 months, we want to waive that mixed beverage tax on private bars. That'll help us uh, get the product a little bit cheaper, and it helps put money back into bar owners' pockets, which they can use to rebuild their businesses and pay off debt. So that's a big push that we're doing going forward. Yeah, and I guess that's a fundamental fairness issue is, you know, maybe it made sense when you were doing really well for you to pay more for a bottle of liquor than I should pay as a consumer. But, you know, now the, you know, the tables have turned in that sense and there's no, no reason that you're, you're in a better position to pay more than anybody else. Yeah. It's, it's a great way to give targeted relief to these business owners. Uh, one of the problems that we have is that a lot of, I mean, most private bar owners, in fact, 99% of private bar owners in North Carolina are small businesses. Uh, there aren't national chains to do this, but they all, they're also renters. So, Waiving things like property tax doesn't necessarily help us. Um, giving these, uh, like there was the the rent relief program that the governor announced, where they allowed folks to get up to twenty thousand dollars in rent reimbursement. Well, that money goes to our landlords. It doesn't go to the bar owners, and it doesn't go to our staff. And when when a landlord says, "Well, wait a minute, you're behind in rent. And now I see there's twenty thousand dollars available. Uh, pay me that, and you're still behind in rent." So what we need to do is find direct targeted relief that goes to the people in need. And, and I think that waiving that mixed beverage tax is the right way to do that. There's also a bill filed that uh, looks at uh, local property taxes and uh, basically forcing cities and counties to give people longer to pay. Does that make sense for bars or you find most bars are you know, tenants in, in their facilities and wouldn't necessarily benefit from property tax because they're, they're paying rent, they're not paying property taxes directly? Uh, the vast majority of bars are tenants. Uh, we already pay exorbitant rates to be able to operate our bars uh, in, in the buildings that we're in. And most of the time, we don't own those buildings. So uh, property tax... Uh, deferral it doesn't really help us um and, and honestly really any deferrals don't really help us either we're already behind the eight ball so giving us an extra six months to pay uh, an outstanding tax doesn't really do great for us uh one of the i think one of the things we're going to be seeing even as bars reopen is you're going to have landlords that come to the to the bar and say hey look man uh, you know i've been letting you pay half rent for the last 11 months but i see that you're open and i'm sorry you're at 30 percent and not 100 percent capacity but it's time to start paying full rent it's hard to blame those landlords. They've been suffering too. But imagine having that much back rent that's owed and at 30% occupancy, and we don't necessarily know what the future is going to bring. We don't know when customers are going to feel safe to go back, even if the restrictions are dropped. You're going to see a lot of bars that just can't make it. I think we're going to see another wave of bar, bars closed right around the end of the year. Is there any uh, room for some help from direct grants? I know that was a proposal from the Restaurant and Lodging Association to try to really get at places that have lost a significant percentage of their revenue and, and for those to get some of the, the direct payments from the state that so far have been going to businesses based on job retention, which I guess doesn't really make a whole lot of sense if you're a business that hasn't been able to retain jobs because you haven't been open. 
I think there's a lot of businesses in North Carolina and across the United States that have received a bunch of relief money, although they haven't had to change their operations much at all. Um, that certainly haven't seen the drastic sales drops off, drop off that bars and rest- or bars and taverns have seen and bars and restaurants as well. I do think that the Restaurants Act uh, going through the federal government right now is a step in the right direction. I think we're going to have to see relief come from the top down. And I hope that the Biden administration uh, pushes that through. And, you know, it's a bipartisan relief act. And I think it's something that's essential. But when it goes to North Carolina, it's up to our state government to figure out how to spend that money. And I really hope that they direct the funds to the people that need it most. And that's the hospitality industry. Is there a need to extend the uh, cocktails to go or has that been effective at all in terms of uh, adding a little bit to, to your bottom line? I don't know how well that's worked out for bars versus for restaurants in terms of uh, that actually being a new revenue source uh, for the last month or so. Hey, we'll take every bit we can get. Uh, cocktails to go is not a realistic way to make up for lost revenue of 11 months straight being closed. Uh, at the same time, it's something. And there are certain bars that are able to make it work. Delivery business, to-go business, any restaurateur will tell you. It's a tough game to be in as for a bartender. You know, it, it's tough for me to convince. I, I probably can't convince you to come get a, a Manhattan from my bar one time and pay me, uh, you know, 12 bucks for it. But, you know, are you really going to keep doing that week after week? Or is it more likely you're going to learn how to make a Manhattan in your house and uh, go to the ABC store and, uh, and do the same thing? Bars are all about atmosphere. They're about community. They're about people getting together. And in order for us to get back fully, we have to be able to do that the way that we used to. And that's why, you know, seeing these vaccination rates going up is encouraging to us. We're ready to put the pandemic in the rearview mirror. Any other uh, policy suggestions that you'd like to see if you, you know, were able to wave a magic wand and, and do what could be done to uh, make sure your business is around in 12 months and, and other bars as well? You know, I think that it's important that we find ways to support small businesses um, as opposed to national chains. You know, I think that one of the major things we're going to start seeing over the next year or two is that a lot of these unique local businesses are going to be gone and they'll be replaced with Panera Bread or, uh, you know, Red Robin Burgers. Um, And that's for bars and restaurants. I think that we need to find a way to stop spending all this money to, you know, in tax breaks or, you know, building a new stadium in downtown Raleigh and and taking tax money to do that. Why don't we take that tax money and put it towards the small businesses where you're getting five times the dollar on economic impact through the jobs that we're creating and the customers that we're serving. I think that uh, the other thing that we really want to see is we want to see bars treated the same as restaurants when it comes to any more of this uh, as legislation comes down. We saw it in Raleigh when they wanted to outlaw drinking on the patios for bars, but allow it for restaurants. We saw it again during the pandemic when private bars were closed, but restaurants were open. You know, it, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, it's discouraging. And it's not how other states are doing it. We got to fix that. Right. Well, thanks so much. Zach Medford is head of the NC Bars and Taverns Association. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast and filling us in. And, and good luck as you uh, hopefully get back to normal operations over the next few months. Thank you, Colin. Appreciate it. All right. And thanks for listening to this episode of Under the Dome. I'm Colin Campbell. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider, and sign up for her weekly political newsletter, also called Under the Dome, at newsobserver.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening.